I'm Sinead O'Moore and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast, supported by Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes, made with only two ingredients, 99.9% purified water and a drop of fruit extract. From fertility to birth to taking care of ourselves, here we talk to women about their own unique experiences of motherhood. The insane joy and the anxious defeat, the love, the laughs, the tears, and the moments that we don't talk enough about. This season is supported by one of the most essential products for every mum. From that first nappy change to those messy winning months, water wipes. Winners of seven National Parenting Product Awards 2021, including Best Baby Wipes, water wipes are proven to be purer than cotton wool and water, making them ideal to help protect and gently cleanse sensitive skin. As the number one baby wipe in Ireland, together we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products and this podcast. In our final episode this season, I am joined by Brana, an incredible mother of an even more incredible little girl. Baby Evie shines a special kind of magic into this world. A true fighter, she has defied all the odds and proved so many wrong. From the first scans, it was clear that Evie has Down syndrome. But then multiple health challenges followed, including a serious, inoperable heart defect. Brana and Ross were preparing to say goodbye at birth. But this weekend, this episode joins in the celebration of wishing Evie a very happy first birthday. The first year of parenting is full of love and challenge, but for Brana and Ross, they have faced unimaginable unknowns. They have also experienced a miscarriage. They are now pregnant again, and they have lived each day shouting Evie's worth, as she teaches us all to live for the moment and to cherish this summer, to cherish every single day. Thank you for listening to this season. This is a joyous and hopeful conversation to wrap up with. Brana, thank you so much for joining me. Our last episode of season eight of Every Mum the Podcast. I can't think of a better one to sail off on our summer break until until autumn than this one. I've been following your journey, as I said, just before I hit record, um, probably since wintertime, since probably for the last maybe six or seven months or so. Little Evie, to me, looks thriving I have followed your journey through miscarriage and my heart broke for you Um, and my heart sang the other day when I saw your latest announcement that all looks well and that you are now 14 weeks pregnant. Yeah it yeah thank you so much as well for having me on like like I was saying I really was really taken aback when when you messaged me (laughs) Um, but no it's been quite a year. And it's crazy because in a way it feels like it's flown, but in a way, you know, it has been the long, like it feels like it's been my whole life <laughs> as well. <laughs> like motherhood is such a transformation, but as you said, you have had so much to contend with this year since Evie was born. How quickly did you find yourself thrust into a whole new world, not just of motherhood, but of my child is sick pretty early on actually and um, so the 12-week scan 
which, you know, like Ross and I had always wanted kids, but we had never really been with the right person. Um, so we were not together for very long before we started trying because we just both knew that, you know, that's what we wanted. Um, and it, it took, it felt like forever for us, but it took seven months. And I know a lot of people, you know, struggle with fertility and it can take years and years. Um, but the seven months felt like a long time. Do you know when you're really actively trying, like I was tracking my cycles, I was checking my temperature, everything. Um, so when we finally got pregnant, we were like, yes, <laughs> Do you know. Um, and then it's a weird period between the four weeks when you find out, you know, in and around four weeks to waiting for that 12 week scan. Um, so we just kind of were like biding our time. And it's so different this time around, like 14 weeks has just appeared out of nowhere. I didn't even think of it. But um, with Evie, with her 12 week scan, they they picked up a cystic hygroma. So it's the thickening on the back of the neck and also on the tummy. Um, and the scan took quite a long time. But again, I had no reference, you know, I hadn't been there before so didn't really know what to expect and I was literally just in awe of that screen like there was actually someone in there because obviously you can't feel them yet you know you feel a bit bloated but you don't really feel pregnant you feel a bit sick you know but it it, it could be anything Um. so when she was doing all of the measurements and things I didn't really pay any attention um, until she kind of you know the sonographer said you know we we have picked up on something that might be concerning so it was pretty much from that scan onwards and it didn't let up until it still hasn't let up, you know. Um, so we we were we did, you know, we had tests and things and we were referred to Galway because that was kind of the it was the closest uh, place with a fetal medicine consultant. Um, and it literally just it was like every two to three weeks was appointments and tests um, we had an amniocentesis done to check for chromosomal conditions um, not a very nice procedure <laughs> um, but we just kind of wanted to know I, I think um, so yeah so from that was at 15 weeks and then at 16 weeks we found out that Evie had Down syndrome and it was the, the Down syndrome diagnosis was actually quite a big relief um, and I think that's in my naivety of not knowing what that would mean. Um, but I think the two of us thought, at least if it's Down syndrome, there's a better chance of this baby being born. Do you know, if it was anything else that either was rare or, you know, had a, a poor prognosis, then we were kind of expecting that this baby wouldn't survive. But, you know, with with our knowledge on Down syndrome, which was very limited, we thought we have a better chance. Um, with this diagnosis so it was quite a comfort when we were told that um our consultant was brilliant as well like she rang us and she, she didn't use any negative terms like oh I have bad news or you know I'm sorry to say which I hear a lot of people um have that said to them and when you don't know what you're feeling to hear something negative like that must be really hard so I am really grateful <laughs> to that doctor for for not you know she just kept it kind of she didn't there was no negative there was no positive it was just this is the fact um so that was that was kind of nice um and then it, it did go downhill from there because Evie developed what's called uh, hydrops fetalis which is where pockets of fluid um form or kind of sit in the, the body of the fetus um 
and it, I think it has a 10% survival rate of getting to term and then being born. But in Evie's case, it actually just dissipated itself, which was, you know, I don't know if, <laughs> if people believe in miracles or whatever, or, you know, good luck. I don't know what it was, but it seemed to disappear. So that was kind of one of the things. And then it was her her heart diagnosis that that really floored us again, because they had they'd picked it up on the earlier scans, like around 16, 17 weeks. Um, but because there's no cardio, like there's no pediatric cardiologist in, in Galway, we were referred to um, the Coombe in Dublin to Dr. Franklin and we went down at 19 weeks. And so they they weren't really able to tell as much in Galway. They just said that the heart isn't forming, you know, properly. There, it looks like there's one chamber at the bottom instead of two. And there might be a few other things. There's a hole in the septum and things like that, but they couldn't give us a clear diagnosis. So then it was kind of like all of the traveling up and down to Galway turned into traveling up and down to Dublin and up and down to Galway. And again, it was every two weeks. Um, and then on that first echocardiogram um, on Evie, was at 19 weeks with Dr. Franklin and she <laughs> she kind of told us the worst news that we could hear because uh, with Down syndrome 50% of babies that are born have uh, some some degree of a heart defect um, and in Evie's case it was not only was it rare uh, to have them these two things coupled together for a baby with Down syndrome it's also like not like they can't operate on it basically so a lot of people that get um, a heart defect diagnosis are set up for readying themselves for their child having surgery. Whereas in our case, we were told that she would be put under palliative care. <laughs> so, and that was a, that was if she made it to term. And if she made it to term, her because of her circulation being so fragile, they didn't know if when she was born and started to breathe herself, if she'd actually survive either. So from 19 weeks, it was kind of like, you know, she's made it this far, but we're being told so much information that doesn't stand very well to her whatsoever, do you know? So it was, it was really like, I loved being pregnant. I loved being pregnant. And I, it's something I've wanted for years and years and years. But like I said, I just hadn't found that right person. And I've always dreamed of being a mum. And, you know, I just, I thought this is like, this is what I want to be doing. <laughs> Mm. it was finally and, happening and then yeah totally yeah completely and then for it to all it, like I don't want to say it was tainted because I don't think looking back on it that it was but it was hugely it was painful um it was psychologically painful um because I had very little symptoms you know I, I just loved having a bump and everything like that but it was very mentally taxing and I think it caught up on me and Ross at different times so which was a good thing, I think, because we were never really um, down at the same time. We would kind of pick each other up. Um, but I do remember a few times where the two of us just completely broke down and we thought, you know, like, what are we, what, what's going to happen? You know, um, as birth like, approached, do, yeah, it's usually, you know, you track your weeks looking forward to birth. You, you, you cross them off the calendar. Um, <laughs> there's a there's there's an ebb and flow of concern and confidence that comes with each passing week in pregnancy when you're being told only good news yeah as your due date approached how 
how did you cope with the fear that she won't be able as you said to to breathe by herself once she arrives yeah I mean in a way we were like so excited to meet this baby and she had got this far and she had just you know she'd already proven so many not people wrong but so many like statistics wrong um so we were like wow like we (laughs) we can't wait to meet her and see what she looks like and everything um but at the same time I was like she's safe inside me (laughs) so I don't want her to leave me (laughs) like I if I could have I would have kept her in there (laughs) forever um think like knowing what I knew back then um so yeah it was it was a really strange time because you're so excited to meet this person but you're just so nervous of the unknown like I said she had done so much already Mm. like Ross was never worried he he was always like well she's done this like she can do the rest you know and he still thinks that even without surgery he still thinks that and I think it's really lovely to not have that kind of you know concern level of concern Mm. but obviously being pregnant and being the one that's going to to have this baby it it definitely leaves you in a different position um we're mama bears yeah totally we really we just are want to mind them we just want to keep them there yeah I do think that we were lucky in a way to because like you said the like being pregnant and having like delivering a baby is there's so many unknowns and that's like you said as well with going through only getting positive news or you know having scans that refine and like when you actually get there anything could happen and we were prepared for that so I think a lot of our kind of grieving and like we were preparing to lose this baby but we were also preparing to like celebrate the time that we had with her so I think we nearly got a head start because I think if if we didn't know any of her diagnoses beforehand it would have been it would have been a big shock to have a baby with down syndrome just because of ignorance really you know like if you if you don't have any connection to anyone with down syndrome you don't have any idea of what that would be like and then having the like the heart the heart um defect that isn't operable I mean that's a huge thing but we did have all of that time to prepare our minds in a way um even though there was still kind of a glimmer of hope that maybe things would change like when she grew or you know if she when she was born things might look different on the scans so we did kind of cling on to that a little bit and in my earlier posts when I started sharing about that I did I I did kind of say you know she might still be having surgery we, we were still hopeful for that um but yeah I think we 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 were sort of lucky to know all this beforehand in a weird way <laughs> she did arrive yeah she did um dramatically <laughs> kind of I I was adamant that I wouldn't be like coerced or persuaded to do anything I didn't want to do but I think you're so vulnerable at the end of your pregnancy because I made it to 39 weeks 39 plus two and I really wanted to keep going until 40 at least um but I think there's like I'm not going to say it's a myth because there's obviously research done on it but the placenta of babies with down syndrome starts to fail um apparently according to, to research after 40 weeks I don't know how I, I don't know how I feel about that but that was my consultant's opinion so she didn't want me to go to 40 weeks she wanted to induce me early I declined a sweep um I said if we're gonna do an induction we'll just do it you know mm-hmm. the way that you do it when you go into hospital and you you have the pitocin drip and things 
Um, so it was the August bank holiday weekend and she said, do you want to do it on Friday or Tuesday? <laughs> and I was like, I'd rather do it on Tuesday. And she goes, we'll do it on Friday. <laughs> she didn't want me to wait over the long weekend. And I was like, I was there by myself. Like a lot of the appointments were by myself because of COVID restrictions. And like, I didn't have Ross backing me up. So I was like, okay, <laughs> do you know, I just, I think it is that vulnerability at the end because I think in my head, I was like, if anything goes wrong, I don't want to have me to blame. I'm not going to blame anyone else, but I just don't want that to be hanging on me. So at least if I take the advice of my consultant, then we can work with it that way, do you know, but it would never be, I waited too long. And I, I, I know it's, you shouldn't do that, but I know every single person does that. Yeah. Um, so the, the more, so Friday, you're meant to check in at 6 a.m. And I woke up at five to go to the toilet and I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And my waters had broken <laughs> the morning mm. of the induction. Ross was certain that if we had chosen Tuesday, then my waters would have went on Tuesday. So they were kind of trickling, like it wasn't a huge gush or anything. So they were trickling no pains no contractions whatsoever so I went to the loo anyway and got ready to go in and they like I had like loads of pads on because it was just constant trickling um so he dropped me off and I checked in and then I went up to the ward and it was just kind of until like what 9am when the the day nurses came on and they said well you've already your waters have already broken so we're not going to give you the pessary um we're just going to observe you for the next whatever how I think it was like 18 hours or something and I was like I couldn't go home no <laughs> and they were like nope you're here now risk of infection blah 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 and I was like in my head because I had done a little bit of hypnobirthing and I'd done loads of meditation and relaxation and breathing and did a course online um did the gentle birth app but, you know I was very much like if I if I don't have my safe space if I don't have Ross I can't see this progressing and I was like I was very disappointed about it I know I could have walked out but again you don't want that hanging over you so I just stuck it out and he was allowed in from I think it was two to three the visiting hours or something so we just kind of had a laugh you know had the crack um still nothing no pains whatsoever just trickling all day so then I think it's after 18 hours they have to give you an antibiotic because of the risk of infection so I had that at 10 p.m and like the two women that were beside me in the ward they had like had the pestries you know we were all being induced they had had the pestries one got rushed off for an emergency c-section the other one was having contractions really like so she got moved down and I was just like do 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 and so they said then that they would move me to the labor ward the next morning and start the Pitocin drip um so that's what happened anyway and then I did start to have contractions and I could recognize them because they were coming more frequently and there was more of a pattern to them it wasn't you know sporadic so I just got into the zone I was like you know started doing my breathing um and Ross was really you know he he's never been in a situation like that before obviously <laughs> so he was he was really good and you know I'd kind of coached him a little bit on you know things that he could do to help me and and one of them was to get the people out of the room <laughs> because being a high-risk pregnancy and you know they're they're definitely on high alert because of they didn't know what was going to happen with Evie when she came out and there was a lot of people milling around and there was a student midwife there and I started crying because I was like can you please leave because I can't you know I can't do this if you're just kind of loitering but because 
they were they were using the CTG to trace Evie's heart rate and everything they actually had to be there the whole time so she couldn't leave <laughs> and it just I think it really got me in a funk um so I wasn't progressing whatsoever I think mm -hmm. I was like three centimeters the whole time every time they checked me and I didn't want to be checked and it was just you know it was a lot of mindset for me I think um I really just wanted to be left alone and just be left alone with Ross this went on anyway and they had tried to break the hind waters to try and get things moving along and it didn't you know nothing was working so I think Ross decided he was going to go get some lunch because he hadn't eaten anything they wouldn't let me eat either because they were worried about a c-section and I was like I've eaten this donut <laughs> um but anyway he decided to go get lunch at three and I remember the doctors came in like two minutes after he left looked at the ctg and said we're bringing you for a category two c-section so that's not the the category category uh, category one where they have to like go 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 it's the one in the middle where they're like we need to get things going but we have a bit of time so I rang him at seven minutes past three to get his ass back up there basically uh things were you know happening um there was like I don't know if you've ever been in an emergency situation in the hospital but there's literally just people everywhere doing like taking glasses off, taking bracelets off, like getting you to sign, like telling you something in one ear, telling you another thing over here. They asked me if I had an epidural and I said no and they checked and everything. So there was just stuff happening all around. Um, and I think that's the point where I I realised that <laughs> this is the point I realised I wasn't going to get the birth I wanted <laughs> being wheeled to theatre. So and they kind of push Ross to the back so that they, you know, that they can do everything. Um, got into theatre and it, I think it was just the fear of everything then really hit me um, so they were putting in the the spinal and I just broke down I couldn't keep it together whatsoever I was absolutely in pieces and the anaesthetic doctor I think she was similar age to me she literally just like made me zone in on her and she was like you know everything's going to be fine this is quite routine you know I worked as a nurse I know all this but when you're in the situation it's so different so I really just zoned in on her and she she was amazing she really kind of brought me back down to to the actual you know to the situation and, and calmed me down and then they they let Ross in and then they you know whipped Evie out so I rang him at seven past and she was born at 20 to that's how quickly everything happened um and they like they they obviously took her out and she did this the girliest little cry <laughs> like even the surgeon commented on how girly it was and how girly she looked um and they held her up for us to see I don't even really remember seeing her at that time because it was just so quick and they they lifted her up and I had a look and I was just like oh my god what's happening um and then they whipped her away um she she did have trouble breathing when she was born so they gave her some support, um, similar to what she wears now at nighttime, like it's it kind of forces breath into into you. Um, so they gave her that for a few minutes and she kind of pinked up and came around and he went over anyway and had a look at her and touched her hand and things. And it like it was it was a really crap situation because I had wanted this really, you know, natural, wholesome birth and bonding and, you know, skin to skin and delayed cord clamping and things like that. And it was all, I made a birth plan and everything, but I, you know, it, it did go out the window, understandably. <laughs> um, like she was priority. 
but they they just kind of stuck her near my face I like got to kind of look at her really closely you know and just took her in for all of 50 seconds and took some pictures and then she was gone um and like Ross wasn't allowed to go with her or anything so I mean he was with me which was nice but I really wanted someone to be with her do you know and it, it it's a horrible feeling after carrying this person for nine months and like being with them and having them with you and everything like I, even thinking when I used to drive somewhere by myself I'd be like you know we're here together and it, it's really nice and then suddenly to be wheeled into a room into recovery and have loads of nurses doing stuff and just they're gone and like you don't know what's happening to them you know no one no one can tell you anything because they don't know either and it's just yeah it was it was definitely really hard <laughs> um, and it took eight hours then for me to actually be able to go down to her because I was moved wards again and then the the night shift took over and it just took a stupidly long time um like I've heard other people say that as well that they've had to wait like eight ten hours to meet their baby because of shift changeover or like oh you've just had a c-section so no but you know I think something really needs to be prioritized differently there because it's it's, it's, it's horrendous such... like such an important connection and as you said like you've carried this baby it's like I think it's I think any mum will tell you that there is kind of an emptiness in us when they come out you know oh, totally. like I still yeah. stroke my belly in, in, a, in a way that's protective and you're like oh no she's there <laughs> like she's there and she's nearly two and she's destroying the place and that's that's not a baby anymore but you're there's just they grew in us and it's so important to maintain that connection especially when you know knowing knowing what they know you know about what what might happen when she comes out yeah to facilitate you staying together at all costs would have been just magical Oh, totally. And I do wonder, I wonder if they thought that she, I, I wonder if she didn't do as well as she did, would they have done things differently? Do you know, if they kind of knew that she wasn't going to survive, would they have prioritised our time together? Um, But maybe, and this has only just occurred to me now, but maybe because she actually did better than expected, they thought, okay, well, now we need to get her to the neonatal unit because we need to give her the support to to allow her to survive. Um, I have no idea it literally just came to me there but I think it might have been different if they could see that she wasn't gonna you know make it she was in the NICU for 10 days which is actually quite a short amount of time um I know she was full term so she had that definitely in her favor but I definitely pushed to get her home because again we didn't know how long we were going to have with her and I thought god I can't spend these 10 days or this however long coming in and out like because I was allowed to stay for two more nights so I was able to go up and down to her and I was pumping as well so it was really helpful to, to you know be with her and see her and everything for my milk production um so I thought we really need to get her home um even though home is Leitrim <laughs> it was at the time um I think with my nursing background it definitely helped for her you know for us to get her out she had she was diagnosed with transient leukemia which sounds kind of scarier than it is um it's it it shows up on blood tests and it can develop into childhood leukemia down the line but you know it, it doesn't usually cause any issues when they're kind of a baby it can do but it didn't with Evie 
so that kind of was holding her back because they needed to to check in with hematology and you know link all that in um but I yeah I I really pushed to get her home and when when we got home I think like honestly and I I like I advocate for Down syndrome and I educate people about Down syndrome but it, it do, it's not at the forefront of my mind whatsoever and it never has been um her health more so has um but when we got home it was like nobody knows what it's going to be like to have a baby um so even knowing everything that we knew about her health and everything we were still just first-time parents bringing our tiny baby home um and not having a clue what we were doing <laughs> so it was actually a really lovely there was appointments smattered in um and they were stressful because like you're recovering and I obviously had a c-section and things like that and she was so tiny and you know vulnerable and everything but babies with heart defects actually do quite well in the first few weeks so I think it's around six or seven weeks that they kind of start to deteriorate so those first few weeks were were bliss we we literally because Ross had taken time off work as well um we were really lucky with that he was able to take um I think it was three or four weeks so we had that time literally just sleeping and cuddling and lying in bed and feeding her and I was trying to breastfeed her and things but like her latch was good you know because a lot of babies with down syndrome might have trouble latching because of low muscle tone but hers seemed to be quite good um but it was just her stamina because of her heart she just really wasn't able um but we we got a few breastfeeds in um so the rest of the time was literally spent like expressing sitting there on the pump every three hours and then feeding her and things but it was just it was a really lovely time and it was kind of a no one can touch us kind of a time like we didn't think anything bad was going to happen because she had survived her circulation had kicked you know had got into to action she was safe for that period of time um and then it was around six weeks that she did start to kind of show more signs of heart um and that's what we had been told would happen so we were expecting that and that was really helpful because otherwise you'd be like, what's happening? Do you know, like she started, you know, newborn sleep a lot, but she was a lot more sleepy, like not able to take her bottles, really not, you know, just not really able to interact and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, like I said, it was, it was helpful to have that knowledge. She had rhinovirus, which is the common cold. And that's not scary unless you're a little baby who has all these other you know health issues it can affect babies as well do you know but especially Evie and we not that our cardiologist had warned us but she had you know given us a warning about how vulnerable she would be if she did contract any of these kind of colds or flu viruses so um we had gone down for a routine appointment um on the 22nd of December and that's when they realized that her oxygen levels were so low um, and that she had this virus so it was the Wednesday and then the Thursday she was transferred to ICU she deteriorated so quickly she literally just the next day was we were like we're gonna lose her Do you know that's it so they put her on that mask in ICU um, it's called non-invasive ventilation and it's basically where instead of you know putting in like intubating with a tube that would breathe for her and sedating her it's like an induced coma they they just sedate her and put this mask on um if we had opted to intubate Evie I don't think she would have come off life support I think she would have I think that would have killed her and I think the team there thought that thought the same so we wanted to to keep her comfortable was you know that and that's the lovely thing about having a child that's under palliative care 
she doesn't ever need to have a scary aggressive heart surgery she doesn't need to have extensive procedures done you know she has to get a heart scan every few months to see how things are going but our our goal is to keep her comfortable and that that's really nice for us which is kind of comforting <laughs> if you look at the positives <laughs> but how how old is she now she's going to be a year on the 31st so really soon and it's it's honestly somewhere we never thought we were going to get to um and none of her doctors did either you know um so now we were never told straight out your daughter's going to live for x amount of time um but it was always like short term medium term um that was the kind of the phrases that we were given so to get to a year i mean it's just it's huge and i know she doesn't know any different <laughs> but it's massive for us it really is and it's quite unbelievable. I still think, wow, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it is. It is unbelievable because at each stage, you know, you didn't know with each scan how long she would live. You didn't know past birth if she'd live. And she's approaching her first birthday. And she, <laughs> you know, she, her personality is, is, is alive and well. You know, she's... Yeah. She, as you said, you know, she's, she's very little, but she's growing into a little person now. Totally. And like, she has the biggest personality, you know, like she, if you met her, she's, she starts off being, you know, very quiet and, you know, she's like, okay, I'm just going to look over here. But when she gets comfortable, like there's no stopping her. <laughs> she's just really funny. And it's been lovely, especially the last few weeks. She came home in January and they had her on like our regime was just that was probably the hardest time that I've had was actually coming home from hospital because again we brought her home to die and I pushed for that I pushed to bring her home you know we could have stayed in Crumlin or we could have gone to the hospice and that was an option for us but again same as when she was born I was like if we have a short amount of time with her we need to get her home again you know we just bought our house in November and we'd only just moved in so we'd really only had a few weeks and we'd missed Christmas with her um and things like that so it was really a priority to to get her home and spend that time with her but then when we did get home and you know she was she she was holding her own she she didn't seem like she was near dying or anything um so again it was just so uncertain but our routine was just hectic and we did have jack and jill nurses coming in i did find it <laughs> more stressful having them because you nearly have to prepare for them to come and move things around and even though and I didn't sleep I didn't sleep when they were there so it wasn't very helpful for me but anyways she was on morphine when she came home and small doses of morphine can be used for breathlessness so in her case it wasn't for pain um it was for breathlessness and to it kind of relaxes you if you're if you're having you know difficulty breathing they use it kind of in end of life care a lot of the time so I not that I ever wanted to desperately wean her off it but there's obviously side effects to to every any medication um but there's quite a lot of side effects to morphine um so we managed to stop giving it to her in March and this was all you know under guidance from palliative care at home and everything but from from those first few weeks after she came off it it was like she just got this whole new lease of life um and I know she was she was you know getting stronger and she's never going to be better um but she was definitely getting stronger and she just started to do all of these things that 
she hadn't been able to do for for those three months and I was like whoa <laughs> like I, I was like I can keep up with you but this is you know it's crazy it's amazing um she's she's needed the mask the whole time at night time because it gives her so much relief um but just yeah so that was a huge thing and then the last few weeks as well she literally has just like blossomed again and it's really lovely to see because she interacts with strangers now which she never did before <laughs> like she started reaching for people and you know it's just so it really is I know a lot of parents with kids with disabilities like you really treasure the milestones because you don't know when they're going to come like even when I was waiting for her to smile for the first time she smiled when she was 12 weeks old and how like it was like the best thing that had ever happened to me and I know every parent will will you know be delighted when their child does something but when you don't know how long it's going to take or if it's going to happen it's just huge <laughs> it, it makes me so giddy when she does something new I'm like oh my god <laughs> even if it takes that bit longer <laughs> and she is going to do something new because she is going to be a big sister yeah <laughs> I think it's going to be so funny because <laughs> she like obviously she all she's ever known is is us and her um but I think I think she'll I think she'll adjust fine to be honest but me and Ross were laughing because it's likely that this baby will eventually kind of overtake her in developmental stages um so she'll kind of be the big sister but probably everyone will think she's the little sister because there isn't obviously that much time between them <laughs> but it is it's very exciting and it like I don't have any naivety around Evie's condition. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen from now until January when we're due. Anything could happen, especially with winter and everything and how sick she was last winter. So, like, for, you know, I, not that I'm, like, looking for the next thing to get to, but, like, her first birthday. But if she gets to meet them, that will be, that you know, that will just make my life... <laughs> That would be huge. <laughs> this podcast is just one way that every mum can support you. Another amazing way is with our free gift bag, packed full of essentials for you and baby, including free samples of water wipes, the number one wipe against nappy rash. To receive yours, just register now on everymum.ie. There's a free gift bag there waiting for every mum. This is a very kind of like vulnerable thing for me to say, but we... And it's not to put any pressure on this baby that's that's due, but we we couldn't imagine a house without a baby now. Um, so we we did want to you know start trying as soon as possible because if Evie died, our house would be empty and we would have all this baby stuff. And it like I said, it's not like we would use that the new baby to lean on, but I think it would just be so much more comforting to actually have a baby even though we lost our baby, if you get me. <laughs> it's a, it's, you've dealt with a lot this year. You've, and before this year, leading into wanting to conceive, those months of fear and hope and disappointment, and then finally, and then the scan, and then the next scan, and then the news deteriorating. But at each point, she fought you know, yeah. she she proved everyone wrong each <laughs> each time, but that weighs on anyone. It's such an incredibly special time 
and it doesn't it doesn't go on for long enough yeah um but I also understand how there could be an element of concern and fear and am I going to be upset again am I going to have my heart broken again um I don't want to say that it's a brave thing to do because it's not like we we don't behave brave as mothers we just act on yeah. love <laughs> we're not yeah, saying totally. I'm making this decision because I'm going to be brave <laughs> it's not about that it's there's something in our hearts that just make us that let us know what's the right thing to do for us yeah and for our family as well yeah because that's the other thing like you you become like so selfless when you become a mother like the last person you think about is yourself <laughs> um probably to a lot of our downfalls but you know our, our family unit or our children are, are so much priority um yeah <laughs> how does it feel to have a, another little person inside you again <laughs> I think this is like so true for second child second child I don't know how your second pregnancy was but I was saying earlier like I I remember that I'm pregnant I don't think about it all the time and it it's re I feel really mean <laughs> it's lovely and I, I like you were saying earlier like I do sit with my hands on my tummy and you know I'm conscious of what I'm doing and what I'm eating and things but it really isn't that like your first pregnancy you're so impatient you're like oh my god I'm only at seven weeks like okay when you know what what size is the baby now and you know you're looking you're researching you're looking up loads of stuff and you're just anticipating the next thing whereas with this one I'm like oh my god <laughs> like please don't think that I don't love you as much <laughs> not that you know I, I don't think people second children do think that but I I think it's quite true for the second pregnancy um, I'm delighted I like I said I love being pregnant and I, I really enjoyed our last pregnancy with the miscarriage like even when we knew that we had miscarried and it was a missed miscarriage as well so there's no embryo or fetus anymore like it was a pregnancy sack but I still like we decided for conservative management we we didn't opt for um, medication or surgery right away we found out at seven weeks and we decided we'd just come back in for scans um every week and just to see if anything would change or you know if anything would happen itself and I still enjoyed that time of still being pregnant even though I wasn't carrying a baby um I don't know why I don't know what that is um but I think it so it took five weeks I started bleeding at 13 weeks um and I think that time allowed us to grieve I think if I had for me I know everyone's different but for me personally if I had had surgery straight away I think it would have taken me a lot longer to to grieve um and to feel okay again if that makes sense but it's it's what it's the point that you were able to do what was right for you yeah that's it exactly and that might not have been the situation for somebody else who actually just wanted to move forward and yeah you know, helping their grief was, was ending it quicker and, and moving forward quicker. And I think that's what, you know, hopefully we're learning is that respect what everyone is choosing when it comes to how their hearts are dealing with their bodies and allowing 
families to make the decisions that it, in the most compassionate way because a loss is a loss and love is a love and how we want yeah. to grow or birth or grieve or care palatively for our children has to be done in a way that feels like you're being respected at all times yeah absolutely I totally agree like I really do and I think that mom shaman that we were talking about earlier like it's very easy for people to forget that they are shaming someone they don't they might not necessarily mean to but it could just be saying you know why are you doing it that way and that is a form of mom shaming um again I don't think people realize it but I think it should be you know people should be more aware of of how they speak to people and I know it's very hard to know what to say sometimes but like you said if you accept what they the way that they are dealing with something because that's going to help them then I think that's good enough you know you don't have to know what to say in in any circumstance but if you if you just appreciate what that person is doing for themselves, then I think that is good enough. You are doing so much in shouting Evie's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> She's a delight. That's the only way. And as I said, look, I'm I'm a stranger on the internet seeing <laughs> a tiny fraction of your life in a curated world. Um I don't I don't I don't know the tough times I don't know the nights where you absolutely thought that you were broken or the moments in hospital where you thought she was gone what I can say is that you are doing an amazing job at advocating for as we said not down syndrome but actually for a little girl who's fighting who's really fighting against every single odd that seems to have been stacked against her from the beginning (laughs) And inspires so many people that, uh, as you said in the beginning, like that might not even have children, might not even have children with a syndrome or a disability or a challenge. Like we all face things in our day that feel hard. And I don't know, something about following your little family often makes me kind of go like, oh my God, just get on with it. (laughs) Get (laughs) on with it because if Evie's there being like have you seen me have you seen what I can do then that's enough that's enough for me I'm so glad and I I do I love getting messages from people that you know if she can bring a little bit of joy to someone's day if they've had a hard day or the people that I've connected with it's it's just it's been amazing just from all walks of life with all different things and it's just her that's you know connecting us and I just oh (laughs) she's amazing (laughs) she is just she's absolutely the most lovable little little person (laughs) and I'm fully shouting her worth alongside (laughs) you thank you for joining us today thank you for closing out our season on a hopeful note um did you say the 31st is her birthday yeah so that's the weekend that this comes out oh that's so nice (laughs) and we didn't (laughs) (laughs) we didn't plan that at all which i didn't know her birthday and that's just another another little clue from the universe that this was so nice 
This was supposed to go out to mark little Evie's first birthday, first of many. And thank you so much so for nice. telling her story. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening and to Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes for their support. Proven to be purer than cotton wool and water, water wipes are made with just two ingredients and are 100% biodegradable, plastic-free and compostable wipes. So you can do what's best for your baby's skin and help protect the planet. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, rate or leave a review. Share this episode across social and get in touch with this week's guest at Shouting Evie's Worth on Instagram.